Chapter 15, Part 1 of The Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter 25, Reigns of Jovian and Valentinian, Division of the Empire. Part 1. The Government and Death of Jovian. Election of Valentinian, who associates his brother Valenus, and makes the final division of the Eastern and Western Empires. Revolt of Procopius. Civil and Ecclesiastical Administration. Germany. Britain. Africa. The East. The Danube. Death of Valentinian. His two sons, Gratian and Valentinian II, succeed to the Western Empire. The death of Julian had left the public affairs of the empire in a very doubtful and dangerous situation. The Roman army was saved by an inglorious, perhaps a necessary, treaty, and the first moments of peace were consecrated by the pious Jovian to restore the domestic tranquillity of the church and state. The indiscretion of his predecessor, instead of reconciling, had artfully fomented the religious war and the balance which he affected to preserve between the hostile factions served only to perpetuate the contest by the vicissitudes of hope and fear, by the rival claims of ancient possession and actual favor. The Christians had forgotten the spirit of the gospel, and the pagans had imbued the spirit of the church. In private families the sentiments of nature were exaggerated by the blind fury of zeal and revenge. The majesty of the laws was violated or abused. The citizens of the East were sustained with blood, and most implacable enemies of the Romans were in the bosom of their country. Jovian was educated in the profession of Christianity, and as he marched from Nisibis to Antioch, the banner of the cross, the Labrarium of Constantine, which was again displayed at the head of the legions, announced to the people the faith of their new emperor. As soon as he ascended the throne, he transmitted a circular epistle to all the governors of provinces, in which he confessed the divine truth and secured the legal establishment of the Christian religion. The insidious edicts of Julian were abolished, the ecclesiastical immunities were restored and enlarged, and Jovian condescended to lament that the distress of the times obliged him to diminish the measure of charitable distributions. The Christians were unanimous in the loud and sincere applause which they bestowed on the pious successor of Julian, but they were still ignorant what creed or what synod he would choose for the standard of orthodoxy, and the peace of the church immediately revived those eager disputes which had been suspended during the season of persecution. The episcopal leaders of the contending sects, convinced from experience how much their fate would depend on the earliest impressions that were made on the mind of an untutored soldier, hastened to the court of Edessa or Antioch. The highways of the east were crowded with Homoousian and Arian and semi-Arian and Eniomian bishops 
who struggled to outstrip each other in the holy race. The apartments of the palace, surrounded with their clamors, and the ears of the prince were assaulted, and perhaps astonished, by the singular mixture of metaphysical argument and passionate invective. The moderation of Jovian, who recommended concord and charity, and referred the disputants to the sentence of a future council, was interpreted as a symptom of indifference. But his attachment to the Nicene Creed was at length discovered and declared, by the reverence which he expressed for the celestial virtues of the great Athanasius. The intrepid veteran of the faith, at the age of seventy, had issued from his retreat on the first intelligence of the tyrant's death. The acclamations of the peoples seated him once more on the archiepiscopal throne, and he wisely accepted or anticipated the invitation of Jovian. The venerable figure of Athanasius, his calm courage and insinuating eloquence, sustained the reputation which he had already acquired in the courts of four successive princes. As soon as he had gained the confidence and secured the faith of the Christian emperor, he returned in triumph to his diocese, and continued, with mature counsels and undiminished vigor, to direct, ten years longer, the ecclesiastical government of Alexandria, Egypt, and the Catholic Church. Before his departure from Antioch, he assured Jovian that his orthodox devotion would be rewarded with a long and peaceful reign. Athanasius had reason to hope that he should be allowed either the merit of a successful prediction, or the exercise of a grateful, though ineffectual, prayer. The slightest force, when it is applied to assist and guide the natural descent of its object, operates with irresistible weight, and Jovian had the good fortune to embrace the religious opinions which were supported by the spirit of the times, and the zeal and numbers of the most powerful sect. Under his reign, Christianity obtained an easy and lasting victory, and as soon as the smile of royal patronage was withdrawn, the genius of paganism, which had been fondly raised and cherished by the arts of Julian, sunk irrevocably. In many cities the temples were shut or deserted. The philosophers who had abused their transient favor thought it prudent to shave their beards and disguise their profession. Christians rejoiced that they were now in a condition to forgive or to revenge the injuries which they had suffered under the preceding reign. The consternation of the pagan world was dispelled by a wise and gracious edict of toleration, in which Jovian explicitly declared that although he should severely punish the sacrilegious rite of magic, his subjects might exercise with freedom and safety the ceremonies of the ancient worship. The memory of this law has been preserved by the orator Themistius, who was deputed by the Senate of Constantinople to express their royal devotion to the new emperor. Themistius expatriates on the clemency of the divine nature, the facility of human error, the rights of conscience, and the independence of the mind, and, in some eloquence, inculcates the principles of philosophical toleration, whose aid superstition herself, in the hour of her distress, is not ashamed to implore. He justly observes that in the recent changes 
both religions had been alternately disgraced by the seeming acquisition of worthless proselytes of whose votaries of the reigning purple who could pass without reason and without a blush from the church to the temple and from the altars of jupiter to the sacred table of the christians in the space of seven months the Roman troops, who were now returned to Antioch, had performed a march of fifteen hundred miles, in which they had endured all the hardships of war, of famine, and of climate. Notwithstanding their services, their fatigues, and the approach of winter, the timid and impatient Jovian allowed only, to the men and horses, a respite of six weeks. The emperor could not sustain the indiscreet and malicious raillery of the pope of antioch he was impatient to possess the palace of constantinople and to prevent the ambition of some competitor who might occupy the vacant allegiance of europe but he soon received the grateful intelligence that his authority was acknowledged from the thracian bosphorus to the atlantic ocean by the first letters which he dispatched from the camp of mesopotamia he had delegated the military command of gaul and Elysium to Malarich, a brave and faithful officer of the nation of the Franks, and to his father-in-law, Count Lucian, who had formerly distinguished his courage and conduct in the defense of Nisbis. Malarich had declined an office to which he thought himself unequal, and Lucian was massacred at Reims, in an accidental mutiny of the Bavarian cohort but the moderation of jovinus master-general of the cavalry who forgave the intention of his disgrace soon appeased the tumult and confirmed the uncertain minds of the soldiers the oath of fidelity was administered and taken with loyal acclamations and the deputies of the western armies saluted their sovereign as he descended from mount taurus to the city of tyana in cappadocia from Tyana he continued his hasty march to Ancyra, capital of the province of Galata, where Jovian assumed with his infant son the name and ensigns of the consulship. Datastana, an obscure town almost at an equal distance between Ancyria and Nice, was marked for the fatal term of his journey and life. After indulging himself with a plentiful, perhaps an intemperate, supper, he retired to rest, and the next morning the Emperor Jovian was found dead in his bed. The cause of his sudden death was variously understood. By some it was ascribed to the consequences of an indigestion, occasioned either by the quantity of the wine or the quality of the mushrooms, which he had swallowed in the evening. According to others, he was suffocated in his sleep by the vapour of charcoal, which extracted from the walls of the apartment the unwholesome moisture of the fresh plaster. But the want of a regular inquiry into the death of a prince, whose reign and person were soon forgotten, appears to have been the only circumstance which countenanced the malicious whispers of poison and domestic guilt. The body of Jovian was sent to Constantinople to be interned with his predecessors, and the sad procession was met on the road by his wife Chorito, the daughter of Count Lucian, who still wept the recent death of her father, and was hastening to dry her tears in the embraces of an imperial husband. Her disappointment and grief were embittered by the anxiety 
of maternal tenderness. Six weeks before the death of Jovian, his infant son had been placed in the curule chair, adorned with the title of nobilissimus, and the vain ensigns of the councillorship. Unconscious of his fortune, the royal youth, who from his grandfather assumed the name of Veronian, was reminded only by the jealousy of the government that he was the son of an emperor. Sixteen years afterwards he was still alive, but had already been deprived of an eye, and his afflicted mother expected every hour that the innocent victim would be torn from her arms to appease with his blood the suspicions of the reigning prince. After the death of Jovian, the throne of Rome would remain ten days without a master. The ministers and generals still continued to meet in council to exercise their respective functions, to maintain the public order, and peaceably to conduct the army to the city of Nice in Bithynia, which was chosen for the place of the election. In a solemn assembly of the civil and military powers of the empire, the diadem was again unanimously offered to the prefect Salas. He enjoyed the glory of a second refusal, and when the virtues of the father were alleged in favor of his son, the prefect, with the firmness of a distinguished patriot, declared to the electors that the feeble age of the one and the inexperienced youth of the other were equally incapable of the laborious duties of government. Several candidates were proposed, and, after weighing the objections of character or situation, they were successively rejected. But as soon as the name of Valentinian was pronounced, the merit of that office united the suffrages of the whole assembly, and obtained the sincere approbation of Sallust himself. Valentinian was the son of Count Gratian, a native of Sibylus in Pannonia, who from an obscure condition had raised himself, by matchless strength and dexterity, to the military commands of Africa and Britain, from which he retired with an ample fortune and suspicious integrity. The rank and services of Gratian contributed, however, to smooth the first steps of the promotion of his son, and afforded him an early opportunity of displaying those solid and useful qualifications which raised his character above the ordinary level of his fellow-citizens. The person of Valentinian was tall, graceful, and majestic. His manly countenance, deeply marked with the impression of sense and spirit, inspired his friends with awe and his enemies with fear and to second the efforts of his undaunted courage the son of gratian had inherited the advantages of a strong and healthy constitution by the habits of chastity and temperance which restrain the appetites and invigorate the facilities valentinian preserved his own and the public esteem the avocations of a military life had diverted his youth from the elegant pursuits of literature he was ignorant of the greek language and the arts of rhetoric but, as the mind of the orator was never discorded by timid perplexity, he was able, as often as the occasion prompted him, to deliver his decided sentiments with bold and ready elocution. The laws of martial discipline were the only laws that he had studied, and he was soon distinguished by the laborious diligence and inflexible severity with which he discharged and enforced the duties of the camp. In the time of Julian he provoked the danger of disgrace by the contempt which he publicly expressed for the reigning religion, 
and it should seem from his subsequent conduct that the indiscreet and unseasonable freedom of valentinian was the effect of military spirit rather than of christian zeal he was pardoned however and still employed by a prince who esteemed his merit and in the various events of the persian war he improved the reputation which he had already acquired on the banks of the rhine the celerity and success with which he executed an important commission recommended him to the favor of jovian and to the honorable command of the second school or company of targeteers of the domestic guards in the march from antioch he had reached his quarters at ancyra when he was unexpectedly summoned without guilt and without intrigue to assume in the forty-third year of his age the absolute government of the roman empire the invitation of ministers and generals at nice was of little moment unless it were confirmed by the voice of the army the aged sallust who had long observed the irregular fluctuations of popular assemblies proposed under pain of death that none of those persons whose rank in the service might excite a party in their favor should appear in public on the day of the inauguration yet such was the prevalence of ancient superstition that a whole day was voluntarily added to this dangerous interval because it happened to be the intercalculation of the bisextil at length when the hour was supposed to be propitious valentinian showed himself from a lofty tribunal the judicious choice was applauded and the new prince was solemnly invested with the diadem and the purple amidst the acclamation of the troops who were disposed in martial order around the tribunal but when he stretched forth his hand to address the armed multitude a busy whisper was accidentally started in the ranks and insensibly swelled into a loud and imperious clamor that he should name without delay a colleague in the empire the intrepid calmness of valentinian attained silence and commanded respect and he thus addressed the assembly a few minutes since it was in your power fellow-soldiers to have me in the obscurity of a private station judging from the testimony of my past life that i deserve to reign you have placed me on the throne it is now my duty to consult the safety and interest of the republic the weight of the universe is undoubtedly too great for the hands of a feeble mortal i am conscious of the limits of my ability and uncertain of my life and far from declining i am anxious to solicit the assistance of a worthy colleague but where discord may be fatal the choice of a faithful friend requires mature and serious deliberation that deliberation shall be my care let your conduct be dutiful and consistent retire to your quarters refresh your minds and bodies and expect the accustomed donative on the ascension of a new emperor the astonished troops with a mixture of pride of satisfaction and of terror confessed the voice of their master their angry clamors subsided into silent reverence and valentinian encompassed with the eagles of the legions and the various banners of the cavalry and infantry was conducted in a warlike pomp to the palace of nice as he was sensible however of the importance of preventing some rash declaration of the soldiers he consulted the assembly of chiefs and their real sentiments were concisely expressed by the generous freedom of dagaphilus most excellent prince said that officer if you consider only your family 
you have a brother, if you love the Republic, look around for the most deserving of the Romans. The Emperor, who suppressed his displeasure without altering his intention, slowly proceeded from Nice to Nicomedia and Constantinople. In one of the suburbs of that capital, thirty days after his own elevation, he bestowed the title of Augustus on his brother Valens and as the boldest patriots were convinced that their opposition without being serviceable to their country would be fatal to themselves the declaration of his absolute will was received with silent submission valens was now in the thirty-sixth year of his age but his abilities had never been exercised in any employment military or civil and his character had not inspired the world with any sanguine expectations he possessed, however, one quality which recommended him to Valentinium, and preserved the domestic peace of the empire, devout and grateful attachment to his benefactor, whose superiority of genius, as well as of authority, Valens humbly and cheerfully acknowledged in every action of his life. End of chapter 25, part 1